Good morning. We are uh, beginning Lent and we are going to be uh, walking with Christ toward uh, Jerusalem on uh, the way of his journey. And so uh, we're going to be taking several pictures of that as we move through the next couple of weeks. And this morning we're going to talk a little bit about baptism and temptation. And really because, uh, because we spend that first Sunday, uh, or, or second Sunday actually in January, talking about baptism usually, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I'm going to spend a little more time with temptation this morning. But uh, I want to set the, the story for you as uh, the gospel begins and tells the story. Uh, and this passage out of the New Revised Standard, the one on top, is, is the one that uh, I grew up uh, uh, more familiar with, which was uh, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. I like what Eugene Peterson does with this when he paraphrases a little bit. And he says, Jesus then appeared arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee. He wanted John to baptize him. John, John objected. I'm the one who needs to be baptized, not you. But Jesus insisted, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. I, I, I like that version. I don't know about you, but I've had people over the years ask me, you know, well, why did Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, you know, like, what did Jesus need to be forgiven for? And, and so it's, it's interesting because uh, you read through this and you realize, okay, we're not the only ones asking that question, right? His cousin John asked the same question in this passage. Well, shouldn't you be baptizing me? And uh, if you go over to Philippians, Paul writes about Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So if you think in that terminology, he's the pioneer perfecter of our faith, he's blazing the trail for us, then come back to this story and think about this. Uh, Jesus redefines baptism in his baptism. Um, part of what he comes for is, is not just that sense of forgiveness, but also for what comes after this, for the indwelling of the Spirit. Uh, so uh, he's, he's setting the pattern for us, and he's saying in doing that, in bringing all these pieces together, all this that has been going on, all of a sudden, it's all going to come together right now in this moment when Jesus is baptized. He's going to show us something new and something powerful. Uh, in, in the story, uh, it takes place on the Jordan River. And just to kind of give you a setting with this map, uh, you can see the traditional site uh, there down near uh, Jericho uh, along that stretch of the river. And, and not far from that, you can see, is, is marked the Mount of Temptation, which is where he's going to go to immediately afterward. Uh, just to kind of give you a location for this. And you can see uh, from Jericho, there's a road that goes to Jerusalem. And, and uh, in Scripture, they'll talk about going up to Jerusalem. And if you ever actually drive, have a chance to go and drive the road, you do. You go uphill all the way from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's all uphill all the way up there. Uh, so you literally go up to Jerusalem because it's up in the highlands of the central hills. Uh, the location on the Jordan River, as I've told you before, it's, it's really not very glamorous. Um, it's that kind of, you know, you go there and you, you're kind of thinking, oh, do I really want to get in that water? Uh, but, but people do. Uh, people come and, and flock here and uh, come to be baptized in this area. Uh, and there's stands where folks gather around. Uh, but, but what happens that's different in this location and when Jesus comes to John here from what has occurred before is the indwelling of the Spirit. You know, when Jesus had been baptized just as he came up from the water, Suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Um, 
we sometimes forget the, the second part. We think of baptism and we only remember the first part about forgiveness. But remember the second act of baptism is the indwelling of the Spirit. And Jesus comes to kind of trailblaze that for us and help us to understand. Because if it's just the first part, then we're, we're kind of stuck in this groundhog day kind of scene all the rest of our lives of, you know, we repent and we're forgiven. Then we go out and do the same thing over again and we repent and we're forgiven and we do the same thing and we repent and we're forgiven. We never get out of that. And with the gift of the Spirit... What Jesus does is he, he, he brings us to this place where the indwelling of the Spirit allows us to break that cycle. Not only do we repent forgiven, but we actually can become the people God calls us to be because the Spirit guides us and the Spirit empowers us to become the kind of people God intends for us to be. And so uh, this scene, is it's, it, righteousness all comes together because now suddenly not only are we going to be forgiven, but we're going to be set free from the power of sin to control our lives. And so that's uh, just a little bit about baptism. And, and from that scene, uh, we move uh, immediately in the gospel from the scene of the baptism uh, to the time of temptation, where I'm going to spend a little more time this morning. Let's pray. So, Father, we come at this beginning of the season of Lent and, and ask you to come alongside of us and let your spirit dwell in us and empower us and strengthen us uh, that we might be able to walk this road with Christ we might be able to enter into these moments and understand and, and learn and apprehend all that you want to share with us. Uh, come and strengthen us that we may be steadfast in our resolve to walk with him. Uh, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus has this amazing moment, you know, at the river and the, and the spirit descends on him and, and God speaks and says, this is, this is the one, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. He has this amazing experience of unity with God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit uh, there in the river. And then Matthew tells us, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And in uh, some of the other gospels, the language in Mark's gospel, it says, and immediately immediately Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Actually, it says immediately Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? You know, he has this amazing experience. This is my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. Now go out there in the wilderness and deal with Satan, right? I mean, it seems kind of rough. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I've read that and, and then I started thinking about that and thinking, you know, yeah, but isn't that kind of the way it is? I mean, you know, have you ever had, you know, you have one of these kind of mountaintop experiences, uh, you know, the presence of God, and, and it just fills your soul, and you feel wonderful, and then you, you, you come back into home and work and all the stuff you left behind, and it's like you got to walk right back into the, all the stuff you left behind, you know, all the garbage that you, you walked away from. It's still waiting for you when you get back, right? Uh, years ago, uh, I had a woman on my staff who did a walk to Emmaus, and uh, she was a woman of strong faith, and she, she, she went on this walk and had just an amazing experience of the power of God and, and came home just I mean her face was just glowing she was so so happy and you know you could just see you know the, the presence of God just resting on her and oozing out of the pores of her and and just amazing and 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 Monday morning her husband's in my office going what did you do to my wife and I went uh I don't, I don't know what are you talking about he's he says she's not the same woman she was when she went out there what did y'all do to her and he, I mean, he, and he, he was angry. He was really angry. And I'm going, well, I, I, we didn't do anything. I mean, we, we walked through that. We prayed through that. I took my spiritual director's manual and showed him everything in there all through it. And he never believed that, that I, there wasn't something I didn't tell him. 
because the change in her was so profound. And it kind of reminded me of the time when I had one of my senior high boys that did a mission trip and came home and he was so excited and so filled with the power of God and the love of God. And, and the next morning, his mother was in my office. What did you do to my son? But that's the way it is, isn't it? I mean, we have these amazing experiences and then we come home filled with God's spirit and we step right back into all the garbage we left behind. And it's hard. And we tell people on Emmaus Walks, you know, you've been out here and you've had this experience and God may have changed you, but when you go home, the world you left behind is still going to be there and it hasn't changed a bit. Get ready. Because when we come home, we step back into that. There's the, the, the tempter, the adversary is always willing to say, you know what? This is what's real. What you just experienced was a fluke. This is the real stuff. And so immediately, Jesus has this powerful experience uh, of the unity of the three in one at the river. And then the Spirit says, okay, time to go out into the real world and test this. Now remember, Satan's name in Scripture, um, we, we talk about Satan or devil, but the, you know, it, it's the tempter, it's the tester, it's the adversary. And, and he has a bit of a job. You know, putting him in the job is to, to test us, look for weak spots, which can either become our downfall or can lead to us becoming stronger. So he's led out there into the wilderness. And, and, and at the end of that time, in Luke's gospel, uh, we hear these words, uh, at the end of the time of testing, when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Uh, you know, you have to remember that being tested is not a one and done kind of deal. That, you know, the, the tester keeps coming back. The adversary keeps coming back. And, and I always think about this uh, opportune time. I think about the Garden of Gethsemane as the obvious answer for, for Christ when he's going, please, you know, take this cup away from me. But there had to be a lot of other moments in there when he's standing before the Sanhedrin or when he's in the court of Pilate. I mean, there had to be a lot of other moments where Satan was whispering in his ear. It doesn't end. You know, you know temptation is one of those things, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's, you know, our culture doesn't take it very seriously and we uh, immediately go to Flip Wilson, right? And what, what is Flip, Flip Wilson's character, Geraldine, what did she say? The devil made me do it, right? Yeah, except the devil don't make you do nothing. The devil tempts you, but you agree to it when you do it. And don't think that Flip Wilson is the only one. I mean, Ben Franklin, uh, back a little further in history, uh, said those wonderful words about temptation, right? The only sure way to end temptation is to give in to it, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we've, we've had this going around and not been willing to take it seriously. So I, I, this morning, I want you to take it seriously for a minute and hear that this, this, this is real. That the adversary wants to tell you that your experience of God is what's not real. And he's going to work on you. And it's going to be more subtle and more powerful than you can imagine. So from the River Jordan, if you look up, uh, you can see the Mount of Temptation. It's not that far away physically, but you can see down there along the river there's greenery, and when you look at the mountain you can realize immediately it's pretty bare, because what happens is as the air comes off the Mediterranean, loaded with all that wonderful Mediterranean moisture, it rises up to the central highlands of, of Israel, and as it does and it rises it drops all the rain, which is why Jerusalem a lot of times is very green. Uh, but as you move on further away from the Mediterranean, then it drops down into the Jordan River Valley, which is a northern extension of the Rift Valley of Africa. 
And as it drops into that and compresses, it becomes very arid and very dry. So that the landscape is, is pretty brutal. Uh, this is nearby, uh, near the uh, area of Qumran. You can see some of the caves up in the tops of the bluff there. Uh, I mean, but you can see how arid it is and how dry. I mean, this is, this is where the Spirit leads Jesus to be tempted. Out in this place where there's nowhere to hide. And everything about you is exposed. And being in this location with no cover, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished, right? That's, that's the nice word, famished. He was starving to death. You know, I mean, I don't know, how many of you fast? How many of y'all practice fasting? Oh, you know, the 930 folks are beating y'all. Y'all got to get it with it. You know, usually fasting my days either Wednesday or Thursday, kind of depending on my schedule of the week. And, and, you know, you fast through the day. And by the time I get to dinner, you know, I'm really hungry. And if something happens and dinner is late or something like that, I'm really unpleasant because I'm hungry, right? You get that hangry thing going on, you know. And, 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 and that's just a day, 40 days and 40 nights. He is starving to death. And the tempter comes and says to him, if you are the Son of God. You notice how he plants that seed of doubt. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, now, is there anything really wrong with that? I mean, when you're hungry, having bread to eat, is there anything wrong with that? I mean, the, he's not asking him to do anything unethical, is he? I mean, if you're hungry and, and you turn the stones into loaves of bread, you have something to eat. And, you know, his first miracle at Cana that he's going to do is turning water into wine. So you know, if you turn the water and the wine, the stones and the loaves of bread, you've got elements for communion. But anyway, that's another story. But, but, but here he is, he's, he, he's doing, and, and what if you turned all kinds of stones into loaves of bread? You could feed everybody in the world. Is there anything wrong with that? I mean, what Satan is suggesting to him is, is not an unethical act, but it's the wrong act. You remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are there, and what happens that gets them in trouble is instead of listening to God, they listen to the tempter. And so Jesus, remembering that, answers, and he says, It's written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. I mean, the body is, is hungry. But what's more important is to sustain, sustain the spirit. And to do that, you have to be sure that you are listening to the right voice. And it, it's so easy to lift, listen to all the voices that speak into our lives these days. Instead of listening to the word of God, which at times is countercultural and counterintuitive and counter to my physical needs. But we are only sustained when we listen to the word of God, to the voice of God instead of giving in to all the other voices that call to us. And then the devil took him to the holy city, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone." Which proves that even Satan can quote Scripture. It's not whether or not you can quote the Scripture. It's whether or not you know what to do with it that counts. It is written, you can do this, throw yourself off. Nothing bad will happen to you. The angels will hold you up. 
Wouldn't you like to be kind of invincible? Wouldn't that be good? I mean, to know that, you know, nothing's going to hurt you. I mean, wouldn't that be a good kind of thing? I mean, that's, that's kind of a tempting thing. And, uh, you know, uh, for Jesus looking ahead toward the cross, that had to have some appeal. Oh, okay, yeah, we could do this. You know, y'all, some of you heard me talk about moving to Corpus when I was uh, starting fourth grade and going to school there and uh, arriving there and realizing that, you know, having grown up in Victoria in ranching country, I was pretty different from the kids there. And the kids noticed I was really different from them. And, and I tell people, you know, I had to fight my way in, into the fourth grade. I actually was fighting my way out because every afternoon when I left, I knew that it wasn't going to be if, it was just going to be when I was going to have to fight my way past somebody every day. If it wasn't on the campus, it was on the way home. I was going to have to fight my way through someone. And, you know, after a while, it, it, it got really old. You know, the getting beat up and the bruising and all. I mean, you know, it gets really old. And I was really tired of being hurt every day. And if you had come on that time, period of time in my life and offered me a deal and said, you know what, if you'll do this, I'll make sure those guys never hurt you again, I would have taken it. Because when you know you're going to be hurt, it's a really powerful thing to say, you don't have to do that. You can be invincible. And Jesus, looking toward the cross, knows he's going to be hurt. And Satan says, you know what, you don't have to do that. You know, you can be invincible. The angels can protect you from everything. And so Jesus quotes back to him scripture. Again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't test him. Now, I know y'all never do that. I know none of you have ever done that kind of testing God thing. You know, well, gee, you know, God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Anybody ever made a deal like that? No, y'all have never done it. But, but, you know, some people do those kinds of things, and they kind of throw that out. And then, and then if God doesn't do it, they say, well, God didn't listen to me and stuff. I mean, no, you know, you, you're supposed to trust in what God has told you and walk into it, understanding that, you know, sometimes that's going to be tough, and it's going to be difficult, and it may even be painful. But this is where God has called you to go. And so to worship God is to live into that, even when it's difficult. Because on the other side is the resurrection. So it's a listen and not put God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while I'm reading the paper or looking at the news feed on my phone or something or another. And, and, and I'm just thinking, you know, what are they thinking? Why would anyone do this? You know, if they would just ask me, I would tell them that's not a smart thing to do, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't, have you ever had those days when you just think, ah, you know, I just need to call them up up there in Washington and tell them how to do this. You know, they just can't. This shouldn't be so hard. Right? I mean, you ever feel that way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's guy. And, and, the, and the problem with that is you also know those days you've had where you find yourself having to say something like, well, you know, at the time it sounded like a good idea right? I mean, our hindsight's really good. We can always look in the past and see the right things, but our foresight's really bad. And Satan says, you know what? I'm going to give you all this power. You can, you can fix everything just the way you want it. 
And sometimes we're kind of tempted. Boy, if we could just be in charge, we could make it all right. Except our, our history shows that we, we're not going to do such a good job, are we? I mean, if we were so good at that, the world wouldn't be in the mess it's in. I mean, only, only, God, only God knows the path we should go down. Only God knows the road we should travel. And sometimes we have to hold on to that and trust that no matter what. And so Jesus turns to him and says, Away with you, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Only him. Not your bank accounts. Not your clubs. Not your social privilege. Not your power. Not your sense of entitlement. Serve only God. And then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Angels came and waited on him. That part sounds good, doesn't it? We like that part. You know, if, if you actually know the Greek in this, the language there is similar to uh, like when a gladiator had been in a battle or a warriors returning home from battle, and, and people come and, and they wait on him. They minister to him. They take care of him. They bind up their wounds and, and take care of them and, and help them to heal and feel better. And that's, that's the language that's used here. The angels came and ministered to him because he's been in this battle with Satan out there in, in the wilderness. And so they come and they gather around him. And man, that's a really comforting kind of, of picture and image. And boy, man, don't you, don't you wish you could just go straight to that point? That you could skip the wilderness part and just go from the baptism to the angels taking care of you? Wouldn't that be great? It's kind of like you can come to Christmas and celebrate the birth of Jesus and then just wait and come on Easter for the resurrection story and not do the stuff in between. But here's the deal. You don't get to the resurrection story without the crucifixion. You have to walk through the wilderness to get to the resurrection story. You know, I know I come into Lent every year and it's a... It's a tough season uh, for a lot of us coming into Lent. Uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of my sister's death, and Thursday is the anniversary of my mother's death. So I begin this season every year very aware of that, and I know others of you who have the same kinds of things. Uh, there's something about Lent moving into this. It touches on all the grief in our hearts and our souls, and it's uncomfortable, and it's painful. But this is where we're called to go. This is where the Spirit leads us. And when we walk into this time and we, we walk with Christ through this and we hold fast to the Word of God, we hold fast to the leading of the Spirit, we hold fast to the presence of Christ with us. On the other side of it, we come to the resurrection. We come to the resurrection. So I want you to hear as we, as we enter into this time of year, this season, that you know, this, is, this is the beginning. This is how it starts, to be tested. I know there's, there, there, there's temptations, and they, they really can get you. you know, the, the, to, to be filled when you're hungry, uh, to be protected when you feel threatened, uh, to feel invincible in the midst of a world which is so frightening, uh, to be you know, given the opportunity to, to make things the way you think they ought to be instead of humbly waiting for God to work out His will. All those things are really tempting. But the call is to hold fast to God, to walk in the path that He sets before us 
and trust and trust that whatever comes on the other side of that is the resurrection and the angels will be waiting. Let's pray. Mighty God, we come, we confess to you that we don't like the idea of being in the wilderness or being tempted. We confess to you that we don't want to be hungry and we don't want to be threatened and we don't want to struggle. All of those things are, are things we'd rather avoid. And yet this is the road you call us to. So we ask you to, to hold our hand as we're on this road with you. Come alongside of us. Remind us that, that we only serve you. Remind us that it is your word that gives us life. Remind us that we only worship you. Give us assurance and give us trust that we can walk this road with you so that a few weeks from now we can stand and celebrate the resurrection with you. And we ask this in the name, the sure and strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.